0: Clear prop. number two, following twin traffic, three mile model. One Bravo, in runway going four
1: This is behind the prop with United Flight Systems owner and licensed pilot Bobby Doss, and his co-host, Major Airline Captain and designated pilot examiner Wally Mulhern. Now let's go behind the prop. What's up, Wally? Hey, Bobby. How are you? I am fantastic as always. This week, we're going to address some topics about check rides. We're going to call this show Go Oriented on your check ride day. As a guy who owns a fly school and does about 25 check rides a month for my school, we obviously have a lot going on. Many days, this week included, we had one day with five check rides and another day with three check rides. Those are obviously hectic days, and we always have our fingers crossed for good weather, but it doesn't always happen. Sometimes I get a call as much as a week in advance. Wally, you as a DPE, I'm sure you've had a lot of funny phone calls with, hey, what do you think about the weather, Mr. DPE? And and what's your initial gut, Wally, if you got that message three days early?
0: Uh, three days early, uh, I just... You know, I'm not even thinking about this check ride three days early because I probably have four um, before then. Um, weather is so finicky um, everywhere. Uh, you know, uh, I'll get I will get calls from people a week out say, "Oh, it's supposed to be raining a week you know a week from tomorrow. Uh, what are we What are we going to do about the check ride?" And I you know I say, "Look, uh, when we're within." 12 hours of the check ride let's have this conversation but um, certainly not a week out yeah and I think there's some guidance for
1: DPEs we've talked about it right you, you have to be reasonably you have to have intent to complete the check ride I think is the way yeah. the regulation reads
0: right right and a lot a lot of times people will say to me well yeah we're not going to be able to fly let's uh, um, we're just we'll just do the oral today and i'll say ah that doesn't work we we i can't do that so um we got to have the intent to be able to fly um and you know i, I the, obviously the easiest thing to look at is the forecast all right at at xyz time tomorrow uh when we expect to fly what is the forecast are we going to be able to fly under these conditions um and then i will what I will do is I will compare the forecast to the current conditions. So, in other words, um, it, it, let's say it's seven in the morning. We're doing an eight a.m. check ride, and we expect to be in the air by by about ten. Okay, um, I'll say okay. Well, at ten o'clock, the forecast says um, two thousand broken. Okay, well the forecast for 7 a.m. was 1,000 overcast. But, in fact, at 7 a.m., it's actually 2,000 overcast. So I will look at that and I'll say, okay, well, the the weather right now is better than forecast. So I will, you know, I'll interpret it and say, okay, I'm expecting the weather probably to be better than forecast at 10 a.m. If it's better than forecast at 7 a.m., you know and you got to look at frontal activity there's there's a whole you know a whole lot of parts to the weather equation it's not just simply looking at what the forecast is or the you know uh, the trends that kind of thing you got to you got to use some common sense you got to say hey we're expect, expecting a frontal passage and the winds are going to shift the temperature is going to go down and um, um, so we, we do have to use some um, logic other than just looking at forecasts. Well, in the same regard, I've, I've also
1: been around, I don't have a specific example, but I know I've been here while an oral has started with thunderstorms happening. And that's another forecastable decision, right? Uh, a squall yeah. line can move through at 8 a.m. And it can be a crystal clear day in Houston, Texas by 8.30 a.m., right? Um, yeah, so it's, absolutely. it's not... It's not just the, and what I try to tell applicants all the time when they're talking to me and probably way before they want to talk to you, but the, the concern shouldn't be a concern until you have to make that decision. And that, that's 8 a.m. If my check checkride starts at 8 a.m., there's logic where you can say, yeah, it's going to be a 700 overcast, low IFR, and a private's not going to fly. You maybe have a night before conversation but you still probably don't cancel you still want to have that go oriented mindset that things can change I want to keep my, my options open uh, we, we it just is so painful if we at the school lose four or five check rides because of weather because we still right. have four or five more check rides to do which just um, I would never push or twist someone's arm to go when they don't want to go but man let's stay positive and do everything we can within reason
0: um yeah yeah and you know, i have people right now asking me for ch- check rides two two weeks out and i i'm telling what i'm telling them right now is look i'm trying to clean up a mess from a week ago where i lost three um and you know those people uh i, I do give them priority you know i i finish the first people before I start start new people. so um, and they understand that and they're appreciative of it because they're gonna get that same special treatment, at least with me. Mm. you know, and I don't I don't know how other people handle it. That's one reason why I don't schedule six weeks out. Um, you know, my 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 logic, my thought process is I don't schedule more than about two weeks out that way if I start one today, and i can't finish i'm able to get this person back in in probably probably about two weeks or so uh, rather than saying well i'm yeah i'm booked through december it'll be january and then you start worrying about the 60-day um, issue and um, well maybe i've got a uh, you know a business trip planned and it it can be a mess so that's that's my logic yeah it makes sense and I I, We're pretty uh,
1: involved with one another. It seems to work out really, really well. How many, and this is something that just came to mind, how many people text you two, three days in advance worrying about the weather and nothing ever ends up happening and then they start the check ride and they're uh, woefully unprepared? Meaning, how many people worry about the weather more than they worry about being prepared for their said check ride? You ever seen that happen?
0: yeah oh yeah yeah that that happens and um you know sometimes sometimes you just get a feeling that they're looking for a reason to cancel the check ride um and you know if if uh um if that's the case i would much rather them just come out and say hey i'm not where i want to be um uh i i'm not going to be able to do this check ride three days from now because trust me i've got a A list as long as my arm of people that I can call and probably fill that spot within three days yeah
1: hopefully my school's at the top of that list
0: (laughs) but I did I read an article in flight
1: training magazine from the AOPA recently and the quote in the big sidebar says on checkride day there are so many things to worry about like your level of preparation or enough fuel in the tanks things that are well within your span of control the weather however is not one of them and so i think if you're an applicant and you're out there and you're really hyped up about the weather maybe you should go check your checkride notebook or your preparation and make sure you're really a game is on for the checkride being a weatherman trying to predict what's going to happen is probably not the most
0: important thing for you uh, as the applicant for sure yeah i i remember um flying an airline flight many years ago and um we we we'd come in and our gate was occupied we've most people have probably been on in the back of airplanes when when the gates occupied and so you're we're, we're sitting out there with an engine running waiting for a gate and and of course we make a call and try to you know of course we're, we're thinking about us and only us and saying well gee there's an empty gate why can't we have that gate well, of course, there's a big picture going on with the airline operation. You know, there might be 50 gates at an airport and, um, you know, not all the gates can accommodate all airplane sizes. So they got a, you know, it's like a, a, it's like a house of cards that they have to build to get all the airplanes into the gate. And I just remember my first officer looking over at me saying, uh, and and he was, he was wrapped around, he was, he was going crazy that, that we, we didn't have a gate and. I'm just sitting there relaxed. And he he said to me, boy, when when I get to be a captain, I, I hope I can have your mindset, your attitude. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, this doesn't seem to be upsetting you. And I said, there's nothing I can do about it. I said, if it's not within my con- my control or my influence, would he be, be, be a better way of saying it? If it's not within something that I can influence, it's not worth me getting excited over. Okay. And, and I, yep. I, I try to live, live life that way. Now, granted, I mean, when my, my, my team is not winning the game and I'm sitting at home on the couch, there's not much I can do about it. I do get excited over that. So um, I, I need to listen to my own advice sometimes. But... Like like you said, you can't control the weather, but you do know what your limitations are. If geez, I don't, I don't want to fly with wind gusting to fifteen knots. Okay, well if if the wind is gusting to fifteen right now and it's forecast to be gusting to twenty five, well, maybe you shouldn't fly.
1: Yeah, and everybody's going to probably have a differing opinion on this. I, I have mine, and I'm happy to share. But what what if what if at uh, 8 a.m. you're starting this check ride and the winds are forecast to be 10 knots right across the runway? Is is that the time to cancel the flight portion that, that's set to probably start around 10 a.m.? What are your feelings on that? No,
0: no, no. I'd say, uh, you know, let's. But my let's personal lift.
1: minimums are nine. What if my personal minimums were nine and it's still forecast to be 10 at 10 a.m.?
0: Well, let's wait till 10 a.m. and see what it is.
1: Exactly. Because it may be eight.
0: It It may be eight.
1: eight. It may be five, right? It may change
0: directions and be right down the runway. Um, a lot of short-sightedness. We we do have some flexibility in how we can uh, conduct the check ride as well. Um, you know, let's say on a private and commercial, you know, the landings are a part of the check ride you know there's going to be a cross-country element. There's going to be some high work. There's going to be some ground reference maneuvers. So think of, think of it as four, four different sections of the check ride. You know, typically, I start out with a cross-country phase. Um, and, and depending on, on airports, sometimes uh, we'll do the landings at a, an, another airport, and then we'll do the high work. Um, and then the low work, and then come back in, or sometimes it's the cross country phase. It's the the high and low work, and then come in, back in and do the landings. But we can start with the landings. So you there could be a day where um, it's eighteen hundred broken to start with. Uh, maybe a private pilot check ride, eighteen hundred broken. Um, we could start. We could do the landings. Landings are going to take uh, probably. You know, by the time we pre-flight and and taxi out and all that stuff, that's probably close to an hour. Um, You know, maybe 30 minutes on the ground and and 30 minutes worth of landings. Um, So, you know, if if it's maybe by the time we're ready to go out and do the cross-country phase of the checkride, it's gone from 1,800 broken to 2,600 scattered. Hey, we can work with that. We can do the check ride, so um, you know. And I, I'm willing to adjust my profile and how we're going to do things based on based on weather, because I, you know, the the examiner wants to get it done as well. No question. Yeah, um, maybe may, maybe sometimes more than the student
1: does, right? Or the applicant does. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say that you maybe just think about was. Um, and I just know how you normally do it, not the other DPS in this area. But if if you're gonna do two in a day, you're gonna schedule one at eight a.m. and one at one p.m. And in Texas, about nine months out of the year, it gets dark at eight p.m. If if the forecast is proactively changing for the better, uh, are you are you willing to take lunch at ten fifteen or ten thirty or adjust some of those windows of time in real time
0: absolutely absolutely yeah and we we do it all the time and then there are many many days where i don't take a lunch you just uh the 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 number two guy i or the number two girl the number two check ride says hey i'm gonna i'm gonna chew on some food while we're we're getting um this first uh you know or we're we're checking all your paperwork and nobody has ever objected to that
1: Yeah, of course. We want to get, we want to be go oriented. We want to get this stuff done and move on. So, uh, that's all good stuff. We were talking a little bit before of the recent, uh, thing that happened on a check ride and you did some math. Talk a little bit about your, um, decision or mindset, maybe new thoughts on what, what should happen with the gear up on a, on a multi engine check ride.
0: Yeah. There's, um, you know, I do obviously do a lot of multi engine check rides and I do a lot of MEI check rides as well and and I always I always ask an applicant at what point are they going to raise the gear? And the stock answer I get is when we're out of available runway length. And I go, Okay. I say, have you ever applied any math or science to that? And they go They'll usually say, well, no. And I'll say, well, how do you determine when we're out of available runway length? And usually what it comes down to is, well, I just just kind of look out the window. And uh, and so if you, if you were to take your airplane, your multi-engine airplane, and uh, let's use a You know, use the runway length at your local airport, whatever it happens to be. And what I'll use, I'll use 5,000 feet because we have a lot of our satellite airports that we use for a lot of landings that have 5,000-foot-long runways. And I'll say, okay, let's take our takeoff distance in our multi-engine airplane, and then let's take our landing distance in our multi-engine airplane and subtract it from 5,000 feet. Okay, so now now we might may only have two thousand feet left let's just say and and i'm just using big nice round numbers let's say takeoff distance is is eighteen hundred feet and landing distance is twelve hundred feet that's a total of three thousand feet so if we to actually take off and then to land on a given piece of concrete we need three thousand feet so now we have two thousand feet left and that's that's not even accounting for taking off yet so now we figure out what our takeoff speed is and we convert it to miles per hour and we convert that to feet per second and then we figure out what our climb rate is by and large at about 200 feet in most airplanes on a 5,000 foot runway you're at a runway in other words we have enough runway to take off get to about 2,000 feet and I, I use a two-second uh, reaction time because usually most airplanes, you're doing about 130 feet per second across the ground. And uh, so you take off at about 200 feet. You have something go wrong, usually an engine failure. You decide to put it back down on the runway you're probably out of runway. You're probably out of runway. And what I see with a lot of people on multi-engine airplanes, we're not raising the the gear until about five or 600 feet above the ground. And so, you know, in a multi-engine airplane, when you lose an engine, you want to do two things. You want to increase power and reduce drag and there's a little takes a little bit of time to get that gear up sometimes so if that gear can already be up you've already reduced the drag so um, just just a thought just a thought and i'm not saying the out the when you're out of available runway is the wrong way to go about things i think where this has come from is single engine complex airplanes we take off in a single engine complex airplane And the philosophy has been keep the gear down until we are positive that we can't put the airplane down anymore. Because in a single-engine airplane, when we lose an engine, we don't have any options. The airplane's coming down, so we'd rather have the gear down. And if we can put it on the runway, that's great. Multi-engine airplane, you have options. We can maybe keep flying or at least descend at a reduced rate so we we may be yeah, at a it's high an interesting uh, topic yeah so you know you can you can do all kinds of conversions again figure out feet per second and and uh uh climb rate how many you know if we're going up at 600 feet per minute that's 10 feet per second Um, and you can, you can figure out, okay, well, okay, so that's 20 seconds to get to 200 feet. And yeah, and
1: uh, it's not going to be much, even at this runway, 7,000 feet runway, you're going to, you're going to be making, if you're making it visually, it's a different story. But if you do put some math behind it, you're not going to be that high when, when you really are no longer going to be able to land for
0: sure. Right, right. So I don't know. Might might be a different philosophy to say positive rate gear up. That's the way uh, bigger airplanes do it. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying a Piper Seminole or a a Baron or, or something is a bigger airplane. But um, I, I think we we really ought to look at how much runway it would really take in in an airplane to take off to get to 500 feet have about a two second pause reaction time that oh my gosh what just happened and then descend at x amount of feet per minute and figure out how much distance it really takes to do that and i think you'd be surprised at how much distance it takes it's probably well well a lot more than what your typical runway length is yeah for sure
1: so that's another good example of just a little tip on a check ride. What about, again, going being Go-oriented? Um, we've experienced something this week, and I bet other schools are experiencing it around the country. What if is not doing what we want
0: it to do, Wally? Is is the day doomed? Are we doomed? Is it over? It's not, and uh, we do have the option to do a a paper application. Now, uh does the hassle factor go up immensely on a paper application it absolutely does and the whole process is slowed down but if iacra is down um uh, and and some examiners will not do a paper application um i don't like doing them i i do about (laughs) maybe about two a year and um you know something that you do twice a year you're usually not very good at and so when you do a paper application with a with iacra there are or or a paper application without iacra i should say there are a lot of potential errors so one thing that that i like to do is have the applicant come when when you go in to iacra when, when, when IACRA goes down, it's usually for about a couple-hour um, time frame, and we usually know about it. And typically it goes down at 8 o'clock Central Time, and they say it's going to be down for about an hour or so. And whenever I have check rides on those days, I always um, get in touch with the applicant, and I say, hey, I, IACRA is supposed to go down at 8 a.m., so let's start at 7.30 tomorrow morning. And And they've always... Uh, been accommodating we get there we get into iacra well before 8 a.m and take care of all the iacra stuff so that we are logged in they have signed the application then iacra goes down while we're doing the ground we go out and fly and usually by the time we come back it's back up so it's it's a non-event if you plan for it but occasionally there are times where there are certain um situations where IACRA does funny things with certain check rides certain check rides you cannot do in Iacra um, and I, I won't get in all that but the only option is a paper application um, it's not something I would prefer to do just because a lot of the there are a lot of things within Iacra that um, um, will will kind of check and and um, when we do the paper, you're you're having to check it manually, and when it gets to Oklahoma City, the rejection rate of paper applications is much higher than of IACRA applications. But it is yeah. And it so is if doable. it's down down,
1: do, how does someone get a certificate? Like if it's down down, what happens with the certificate piece? Uh,
0: yeah, I th- I think what most of us have is we have uh, printable PDFs that we, um, or fillable, excuse me, fillable PDFs that we're able to fill in all the information. And so the temporary certificate that I will issue when IACRA is down um, is, you know, it's, it's typed and it's, uh, it looks nice and um, uh, probably doesn't look a whole lot different than the IACRA-generated certificate that you get. And then I have to email the application, um, that certificate, and the knowledge test results. If this particular check ride had knowledge test results, all that has to be uh, emailed into the FAA, which which the examiner will take care of. Uh, but with that in mind, when you do fill out your uh, application in IACRA, uh, just just print just print make a paper copy of your application so if the morning or the afternoon of the check ride boom hiacra is down and we weren't expecting it you've you've got the application sitting right there and it's ready to go
1: such an easy thing to do that could save a whole lot of heartache uh, and is the epitome of being go go oriented for sure
0: yeah yeah
1: what my first a little
0: good Oh, I was going to say, my, you know, my first flying job I had was was at a FBO that, that did um, charter and uh, flight instruction, and, and my boss, a guy named Eric Mingledorf. I don't know if he uh, listens to the show. It'd be great if, if he did. But he used to he used to use that phrase all the time: go oriented go oriented you know in in the charter business we are in the business of moving people around and i will say this i never ever ever felt pressured into taking a flight that was unsafe but on the other hand people are, are buying a service and they are they are asking us to fly them from here to there um and you know we we need to you try to make that happen.
1: Yeah, that's uh, it's a good mindset to have as long as it's not a uh, a negative mindset that means hey, I'm I'm able to fly in this low IFR. I'm gonna I'm I'm being go oriented. That's not what we're talking about. It's it's right. uh, doing it safely uh, and and without risk.
0: Yeah, I, I we actually had a, a young man that that sent in a question and and he asked about being pressured into taking a flight and and i've got to say i mean i've really only worked for three aviation companies in my life this first fbo my commuter airline and my current airline and in my career i i i can honestly say i have never been pressured into taking a flight that that i felt was unsafe never whether it be mechanically or weather related um, so, uh, it, it's hard for me to imagine working for a company where, where that happens. Now I, I know it happens, but I, I, I can't, I can't say I've ever experienced it.
1: Yeah. I've heard a few stories, but they're stories and maybe a little blown out of proportion, but, um, that's not, that's definitely not what we're talking about here. And as we transition to the the, the next topic, it really is about squawks and, Things that could be anomalies on aircraft, and just what some applicants might do to want to scrub the flight or not go or not be go oriented. Right again, not safety stuff here. We're talking about. I've seen I've seen somebody come in demanding that I change a nav light uh, for a tenant, you know, for a AM check ride on a private check ride, and I I challenged that a little bit, like. We're not going to take the plane out of service and send it to the mechanic and let the mechanic put a green nav light in there for a daytime flight. What are your thoughts on? And have you got any good stories on some uh, crazy squat conversations around the check ride?
0: Yeah, that's um, it, the the airplane needs to be legal, and um, you know, as part of the 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 qualifying the airplane we talked about this uh few episodes you know the the uh, examiner has to be legal the applicant has to be legal and the airplane has to be legal you know i I will i will ask him if everything in the airplane works and um hopefully hopefully the answer is yes and if the answer is no then we'll dig into making sure that it has been properly disabled and uh, logged accordingly but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with going with something that is not working as long as we've done what we need to do. If it's a day flight and, and a nav light is in op, okay, well, let's placard it in op. Let's make sure it's in the logbook and, and let, let's take care of that. But, you know, we do have the ability to go with inoperative equipment if it's properly taken care of. Yeah,
1: can you imagine if you told your company we're not going because the coffee pot's broken?
0: Yeah. No, I, I can't, actually. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah.
1: wouldn't go over very well, I don't think. Right? And I think right. I think there's some things that, are, that sound shocking that I've experienced. I've experienced some of it with you, right? Um, what if you get out there to the plane, the, the applicant turns the master switch on to check the lights and the flaps, and the everything seems to be working fine but the engine won't turn over um when they go to start it and they assume that it's electrical
0: is that a reason to cancel the check ride no i mean it's it's just like your car i mean what are you going to do if you go out and start your car and your car doesn't start well um you might think about jumping it off and uh, yeah we so we actually jump
1: planes for sure.
0: Right. And right. it's
1: not, it doesn't necessarily always indicate something's wrong with the plane. The pilot right before right. you could have left the master switch off or on all night long, which happens at flight schools, uh, unfortunately. And a jump yeah. is not that big of a deal. I think as a, as a young pilot, had it been my private check, right? I would have been freaking out if the flight school would have said, well, I will just jump it. But it was my lack of knowledge and my lack of experience that would have created that for me. Um Right. Man, there's all kinds of tips to to take some of that stress off, right? Calling for fuel or making sure there's fuel. Have you ever spent any time waiting for fuel, Wally, for a, a flight?
0: Oh, I you know, there there's two things that I seem to wait for a lot at flight schools and that's A to use the restroom cuz most of the the flight schools only have one restroom. Um that that seems to be the norm. And the other is waiting for fuel. And um I I I get I get frustrated when um, the applicant does a 30-minute pre-flight and the last thing they do is check the fuel Um, i would think maybe the first thing that we would do is check the fuel so while we're looking at the tail and looking at the tires uh, that fuel truck can be on the way so um, you know at at my airline we we used to say comforts and quantities when you get to the airplane the first thing we want to do is check comforts and quantities. In other words, if we need to get air conditioning or heat on the airplane, let's let's do that right now. And, of course, in, in smaller airplanes, that's really not a factor. But quantities, if we, you know, in, in, in the big airplanes, we're looking at oil, we're looking at oxygen, we're certainly looking at fuel, um, you know, uh, wastewater uh, emptied, potable water, all these quantities that, if we need to address it, let's address it thirty minutes before the flight rather than one minute before the flight, which will cause a delay. Yep, yeah. all really good
1: tips uh, for sure. One thing we missed in my notes here on the jumping the aircraft. Um, if you've never been involved with jumping an aircraft, Wally, what would be the f- what would be the step you would take? I mean, yeah, we're going to get the fly school involved, but as pilot in command, what's what's the f- first thing you're going to do or turn to to jump that
0: aircraft first thing i'm going to do is i'm going to look in the poh and there is probably well not probably there will be a procedure for starting the airplane using external power is usually what it's called and the big thing about that is in most most airplanes you're going to start the airplane with the master switch off so it's a big deal. It's just the way the, the external power receptacle, you know, where it's wired into the system, that once it's plugged in, you're going to get power to the airplane. So you're going to be sitting in the airplane, and things are going to light up, and the master switch is off. Now, are all airplanes that way? I, I, I don't know. I can't speak for, say, a Cirrus. I've never done it in a Cirrus, um, but I know... Piper's, uh, I, I've, I've jump-started my Saratoga before, and uh, the procedure is for the master switch to be off. So just like anything else, anytime you're doing a procedure that is not normal, um, you should pull out the checklist and, and um, follow it accordingly. You know, manual gear extension. If you're ever going to extend the gear manually, pull out the checklist.
1: Yeah, it's all good stuff, and I think the theme and the the title today is Be Go-Oriented, right? We want to get these check rides done. We want to do them safely, but a lot of the little little things that I've seen, and maybe some big things that that aren't as big as we all think they might have been, that prevent check rides from happening can be solved. Get the fly school, get the aircraft operator involved, check time to try and investigate and troubleshoot and see if you can't be go oriented and get off the ground and make that day one of the most important days of your life no matter how you do it do it safely and stay behind the prop. Thanks for checking out the Behind the Prop podcast. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out online at BehindTheProp.com. Behind the Prop is recorded in Houston, Texas. Creator and host is Bobby Doss. Co-host is Wally Mulhern. The show is for entertainment purposes only and is not meant to replace actual flight instruction. Thanks for listening
0: and remember, fly safe.